0: Thank you, Ben. If you can pull out your insert, you should see community news and information on the outside. All of those announcements are there because they're important, and we want you to know them. So at your time, um, I would make my way through those if I were you, including an announcement on Angel Tree that's important. There's an outside workday coming up, the next Men's meet and Fire. um, I will be hosting that. That's on there, as well as important information about us seeking a men's event coordinator for men's events. So read through those. The one thing I want to highlight is the first one there, because in less than eight hours, Indianapolis Theological Seminary president, Dr. Nicholas Piotrowski, will be here, where you are sitting right now, doing a seminar on the biblical theology theme of the temple. I have heard him speak on this before. It has the, 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 the possibility to deeply change and impact you, why does it matter, what's well, the big deal with the temple, what's going on with, with all of that, Nicholas is an engaging speaker, we have a, a book giveaway, as well as I'll be doing a Q&A with him, trying to stump him the best that I can, not really, but I encourage you to come, it's free, there are some spots still, but not a lot, so sign up, you can scan that QR code with your phone right now, register back here, 6pm tonight, it's going to be a good time. All right, if you open that up, the the sermon text is on the inside. We're looking at Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16, as we are continuing our study of the church. Some of you are aware of this, but uh, last Saturday, so that's eight days ago, um, I did something truly amazing. I, uh, I threw out my back. I... During a move, my family moved just about a half mile away down the road, still here on the east side. Um, I wasn't even doing anything cool. I wasn't lifting anything. I wasn't being super strong and heroic. I was actually just assembling something, holding one thing while twisting across my body, and there went my back. Now, I've said I've hurt my back before. I was lying. I just learned that (laughs) eight days ago. And I had always made fun of all of you when you said your back really hurt, and I threw out my back. I'm like, wow, we all have sore backs. Get over it. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It, um, it deeply affected my entire week. Still does, actually. Um, simple things like tying shoes, sitting down, standing up, driving a car. It's a disaster to get into my little silver car, if you guys know what I drive. It's, uh, it's wild. So if, if I was 0% healthy, Last week on on Saturday, this morning, I felt that I was about 55, 60% healthy until I decided to take a shower and go on one leg, reach down and twist on the water and do it again. And so I'm back down to, I'd probably say about 20% health. And the only thing that hurts is bending over to read anything. Luckily, I don't have to do that this morning over and over again. So you might see me doing one of those numbers, but and Roger did it too. Roger just recently did it a few days ago, so your pastors are doing it. It's the cool thing to do. Uh, The Apostle Paul often said, follow me as I follow Christ. So if you, you want to, you can actually disobey that one. But you could say that my body is disunified. It should be able to sit down and stand up. It should be able to touch my feet and tie my shoes. It should be able to function, but it is not. My body is not unified right now. Because of one part, the whole thing hurts. The whole body is affected because of one part being injured. There is a deficiency in one piece that affects the whole. I'm not just telling you about my back because I wanted you to know I'm hurt. I'm telling you this because the Apostle Paul, the New Testament's favorite phrase for what we are, what you are, is the body of Christ. What is the church? The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head and we are all pieces and parts, members of a body, put together Christ as the head. So what is the church? I put this in your insert, the red sentence there. What I want us to see is the church is the Spirit-united body of Christ. The church, you, New City, is the Spirit-joined, the Spirit-united one body of Christ. Building upon what we've been looking at, you may recall two weeks ago when we started the series, Roger was in Hebrews 12 with us. And we learn that the church gathered on earth is the earthly expression of a heavenly reality. You may recall the shadow thing that that Roger was doing over his Bible and over his notes. If you do that, you see the shadow of your hand. That's what we are as the church. Our hand being the heavenly reality. What is happening as the, the saints in glory are around the throne. When we gather, when we are the church, we are an earthly and real representation of that even more real heavenly reality. And we answered the tough question, can you be a Christian without being a part of the church? Maybe. Roger had some tough words for us, not a good one, not a biblical one, because there is no category of an individual Christian, just like there's no category for a part of a body, an appendage that's not connected to the body. That's unnatural. That's not how it's meant to be. You've been created for community, for the church, for his body. Last week, we were in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22, looking at the church as the Jesus-built household of God, another image for the church being a house. That's temple language. So come tonight, 6 p.m., Nicholas Piotrowski will be teaching on the temple, but we are the household. We are the new temple where heaven and earth are meeting, where God uniquely lives and dwells. It's us, the household of God, and it's built on Jesus this morning we're going to see how we are the body of Christ. Spirit has united us, joined us as one body. So let's begin. Ephesians 4. Let's begin with verses 1 through 3. 1 through 3. Follow along as I read them. I, therefore, that's Paul. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called "...with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace." So we begin, as good Bible readers, we notice the first words there, I, therefore, so the Apostle Paul's writing, and when we see a therefore, we know that it's connecting to what came before... Um, Whether annoying or not, a lot of my professors used to say when you see a therefore, you ask what it's there for. It's there for a reason. And if you know the six chapters that make up the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are what we call doctrine, truth, filled with all kinds of wonderful theology about you and about me, about the church of God. We've been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, before we breathed our first breath, chapter one. With the purpose of uniting all things in heaven and on earth in Jesus. Chapter 2, your spiritual biography, my spiritual biography. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Unable to change our lowly state. But God made you alive. Made me alive in Christ Jesus. Then comes the reconciliation we looked at last week. Roger preached how the, the blood of Christ has reconciled us to God. But also reconciled us to one another. There is no Jew and Gentile, no Jew and non-Jew, in and out. We are now one people if you are in Jesus. Paul then expounds on that in Ephesians 3 and then prays for the people. And now we've arrived at chapter 4. I, therefore, am going to get really practical and tell you how to live that out. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are the practical implications of the truth that makes up the first half of the letter. 1 through 3, what we could call indicative, true statements about us. 4 through 6, how do we live in light of this? And Paul's main argument is beginning here. His urging us, or literally exhorting us, strongly encouraging us, is about maintaining unity. Being the body. He tells us to walk worthy in verse 1. See it? I urge you to walk worthy. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That's a favorite phrase of Paul. Walk worthy. It's in most of his epistles. And here, and in the one in Philippians 127, and in the one in Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10, it's connected intimately to unity. What does it mean to walk worthy, maintain the unity with humility, with patience, bearing with one another, as he says, but eager to, to remain one and be unified? It literally means to be in stride with or be consistent with. Do you remember Ephesians 1 through 3? Church in Ephesus? Live consistently with that. How? What are you talking about? Be one. Remain united. Paul's not asking for perfect Christians, but he's asking for Christians who are eager to remain united as the body of Christ. You guys have probably experienced this. I have a five-year-old daughter named Amelia. She uh, picks out her clothes now. Good thing is, I don't have to do it. Bad news is, she goes through like 10 outfits a day, and they are what you could call often clashing. Two weeks ago, I believe, many of you might have seen a blue Elsa dress, bright white polka dot pants, and red snow boots. Red and pink snow boots. And it was 85 degrees out. None of it made sense. None of it was really happening, but she tried. The whole thing was clashing. Walk worthy of the manner, walk in a worthy manner to which you've been called, is Paul's exhortation to not clash like Amelia. Your life, the way you live as one, reflects the truth that you speak. Chosen in Christ, dead but made alive, united to Jesus, covered by the blood of Christ, justified and said, not guilty. Live this way as a group of people centered on that same Not perfectly, certainly not, but unified, one. Literally eager, verse 3 says, you're eager to maintain, zealous or passionate, that's what that word eager means, we're we're about this, passionate about this. Well, what are we passionate about, verse 3? Creating unity by ourselves. Is that what it says? Eager to maintain, The unity of the Spirit, literally eager to maintain the Spirit's unity. The Spirit, the point, has already unified us. We already have unity by the Spirit. He's brought it about. He's worked it. We don't create it. We guard it. We maintain it. We nurture it. Nourish it. It's just like one of the points Roger made last week from Ephesians 2 about the reconciliation. God reconciles us. We don't do the reconciling. Through Jesus, God has reconciled us to Himself. And through the same Jesus, death on the cross and glorious resurrection, we've been reconciled to one another. We don't do it. He has already done it. We maintain it. We guard it. We nourish it, we're zealous to maintain it, but it's been brought about by the Spirit. A New Testament scholar by the name of G.B. Caird says this, the corporate unity of a church is not a desired end, but the fixed starting point to which the behavior of its members must conform. We start unified, guys, even though it doesn't feel like it. Just like lesson one, two weeks ago, the the earth is the, the earthly expression of a heavenly reality. You're lying by saying, I'm a Christian, but I'm disconnected from the body. A lot of times we're lying. Unity in the Spirit, but we're so disconnected. We're so disunified from one another. The reality is the Spirit's already done it. It's His unity. We maintain it. We are one already in the Spirit. Let's keep at it. Let's fight to maintain it. And this is a unity throughout the book of Ephesians It's made abundantly clear in Jesus, in Him. This isn't just general friendliness. This is not a, 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 a camaraderie. That's not what we're keeping. We're keeping a oneness, a unity that is founded in Jesus. Now Paul goes on in our next section to talk about why. Why is this? Okay, I'm starting to get this. Okay, the Spirit's brought about the unity. We as the church, because of Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, we should fight for this, maintain it, but why? What's the big deal? Verses 4 through 7. Let me read that. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Why unity? Why should we be eager to maintain the unity that the Spirit has brought about? Because we have, we, look around, we have, you've got to imagine first service too, look around, we have one body, one Spirit. We have one hope, one lord that's the that's Jesus Christ the lord Jesus Christ we have one faith that is our true objective faith in the gospel that justifies us and makes us right there's one we have one baptism there's one god and father of all because of that it's almost like a you can hear it it's almost like a creed statement a confession because of these because of that oneness we're eager to maintain in the midst of all of our differences Romans 12 verse 5 sheds a lot of light on this and I should have put it in your booklet but we had already printed so I apologize but just listen to these words. Romans 12 verse 5. In Christ though many we form one body. Okay? In Christ we though many form one body. Body, that's union with Christ. language, speaking corporately. We often in the New City community talk about our union with Jesus. It's very important because it's vitally important to the New Testament. The New Testament writers use that phrase, in Christ, in Him, over 160 times. If there's anything you need to grasp, it's something the Bible tells you that you are 160 plus times. By faith, you are in Jesus, united to Him. What is true of Him is true of you. Is He righteous? You're righteous. Is He resurrected? You're going to be resurrected. Your resurrection is as good as done. You're in Jesus. You are forgiven, free, and restored, as we just said in our declaration of pardon, because of Jesus and because you're one with Him. But it doesn't stop there. There's a corporate aspect. Union with Jesus is not primarily just about a bunch of individuals in this room enjoying personal connection with Jesus, but a connection to his body. Let me have somebody way smarter than me say what I just said. His name is Michael Goheen, and a work you often hear us quote from. A Light to the Nations, he he wrote a, a seminal work called A Light to the Nations, and he explores the New Testament images for the church, one of them being the body of Christ. And he has this to say. The body of Christ, phrase, is a church statement. A community that has been established by the events of Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. Too often, the language of in Christ is interpreted primarily, if not exclusively, in terms of individual salvation. But, the new life of the individual in Christ is at the same time, in the new society founded in Jesus Christ. A separation of the individual and the social or corporate aspects is not possible. The personal union with Christ involves incorporation into the collective Christian society. Being in Christ is not first of all about discrete individuals enjoying the benefits of Christ's work. It is primarily about being A part of the new humanity that now shares in Jesus' work. We are indeed united to Jesus by faith. And what that means is you are now not your own, but a part of the body of Jesus together. By one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, and one faith, and one baptism. Let's be eager to maintain that get to more of that in just a second. That's the oneness, but there's another aspect of this where I think the true beauty of the unity of the church shines most brightly, and that's actually in our diversity. I'm looking at a room of very different people, different jobs, different giftings, different incomes, different colors, different preferences, our unity that Paul's talking about is not uniformity. It's not that we're all the same. Instead, variety is good. We're going to see this explicitly in a moment where Paul starts talking about how we're different and we're meant to build one another up. Unity in diversity is the goal. Unity around Jesus, though different, not just in terms of preferences, but even in terms of our. Our gifts and and what we do. So, this is built upon, the argument builds upon even further, something that I didn't plan, but our confession of sin being about the ascension of Jesus. Look at verses 8 through 11. This is going to get a little weird for a second, but we'll move quickly through this. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That's cited from Psalm 68. Speaking of when a king would win in battle, he would often take the spoils, take captives and parade them through the city to show everyone victory has been made. We have won. And the, the, the verse is then picked up and applied to Jesus, who we are told conquered the devil and, his, and the cosmic enemies of God and conquered our sin, and conquered death, and conquered hell on our behalf. And he did so by coming down from his rightful throne, taking on flesh, living a perfect life that we could never live, and dying as a criminal on a cross, to satisfy the wrath of God and atone for you and atone for me. But he didn't stay dead. He gloriously rose from the dead and ascended back to the right hand of the Father. Look at verse 9. In saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. There's a lot here. Let me just be brief. Um, This verse has been used. A lot of times, wrongly, with First Peter chapter 3, to say that when Jesus died on the cross, he was buried in the grave, and his soul or spirit went to hell and proclaimed the gospel in hell to deceased saints. That is not what's being said here. Older translations, the authorized version, the King James Version, translated verse 9, look at verse 9. It said this, In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he first did not descend into the lower regions of the earth? Okay. The the Greek sentence there is, is correct in the ESV. It's pretty clear if you're an English nerd, this is an apposition. I love that. If you want to. Yeah, anyways. Into the lower regions, comma, the earth. Into the lower regions. That is, the lower regions are the earth. So, what it's saying here is that Jesus ascended to the throne of God. His rightful throne as the king of the universe. But before he could ascend, he had to descend. Right? We're just thinking of basic movement. And again, we're not talking about way up there. It's not like Jesus is on the other side of the moon somewhere. Just up, elevated. Like when you climb the steps of a throne, you just go up. He had to first come down. How did he first come down? Philippians 2 tells us, by taking on flesh and becoming a servant Jesus descended to us in his descending to us he conquered the enemies of God reversed the fall began new creation and he has taken a host of captives the devil, hell, sin and death he's won he's been victorious and he went back up the steps of his throne and is seated at the right hand of his father what does it mean for him to ascend if he first did not descend he did, he descended to the earth Now, what is going on with all that? Why that? Verse 11 tells us it's that one, that Jesus that gave gifts to the church, that gave people to the church. Verse 11 literally reads, and he himself, that's what we're supposed to feel there, that one who descended, died, rose again, ascended, he himself, it's that one who gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, Shepherds and teachers. The apostles are those New Testament writers, those who were witnesses, eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus who wrote authoritative scripture under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They are no more. The the prophets um, are those who the, the prophets were those who were often mouthpieces of God, revealing God's will, speaking revelation to the church. Evangelists, there's there's debate here if that's whether if that's evangelistic people or if that's kind of like evangelists. Philip and Timothy and Titus are called evangelists. Is that somebody who like worked in partnership with an apostle? We're, we're not sure. What's more clear is the ongoing, continued offices of shepherds and teachers. Shepherd is the word pastor, working with sheep to guard the flock and to nourish. The the sheep that were under his responsibility. And teachers for instruction and training in righteousness. Although there's debate on some of those things. The verse is abundantly clear that we're supposed to feel in our bones that it's that one. He himself gave to his body these different people. I'm looking at different people. Jesus himself gave us you but it's with a purpose. Verses 12 through 14. Why? Why, why? why this diversity? Why did He Himself, Jesus Himself, do this and give these people and these things to equip, verse 12, the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Different offices, different gifts, but all designed for the same end goal of maintaining the unity. And how is that first and foremost done? It's by building each other up. Why are we different? Why are we diverse? To build each other up. Why are we good at different things? For building each other up. Why do we have the things we have? For building each other up. And in so doing, we live and lean into the unity, the oneness of the body. So that's where this this illustration of the body comes into play. It can't be done alone. This series on the church, whether we're looking at the church as the the earthly expression of heavenly reality or the household of God that Jesus has built, or this morning, the body of Christ, the point is you can't be a body by yourself. A finger can be a finger by itself. That's not ideal. It dies if it's not connected. It's also not helpful to have one piece of the body not working, like my lower back. Throws everybody off. It's also not great to have super strong one piece. Actually, my buddy just had uh, surgery on his wrist. It's been in a cast for like forever, it seems, like eight months, and he just got it off. It's like significantly different. It's a normal forearm and then just like a, a bone on one side. That's not ideal. He it, it functions weird on one side because of it. We're to be a body made up of different pieces But all functioning together as one. It can't be done alone. So I just want to reiterate the importance that Roger has emphasized over the last couple weeks. You were made for community. You were made for the church. You can't do it alone. And when we understand this image of the body, that has implications for geography, proximity, proximity. That has implications for what we do, how we spend our time when we are with each other. Because I can't do it without you. I'll pretend to be the pinky finger. I can't do it without you. I need you, and you need me. It changes the way I view Sunday morning. I'm not, I'm not speaking as just the pastor. I'll take off pastor hat. I'm saying, for me not to come robs you. For me to regularly miss the gathered worship with the body of Christ harms others. Because you need me. And I need you. We were never intended to be individuals and I can't make it without you. So please don't make me try to do it alone. Let's be the body. Let's be one. Let's be together. I need you. That's enough of that. Verses 15 and 16. Our last verses, and then I'll just make a brief application point. Verse 15, rather, so here's kind of what we're going to be doing. Here's what we can do with one another. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I can't improve on his words, so I want to read a quote from Pastor Dane Ortland. And no, it's not from his book, Gentle and Lowly. He wrote a new one, it's just as good. It's called Deeper. Um, it's on uh, growth and sanctification. How do we grow in our union with Jesus that he wrote about in his first book? But he, Pastor Dane Ortland says this. This is kind of strong at first, but an independent Christian is a nonsensical category according to the Bible. Scripture calls believers the body of Christ. That is perhaps a familiar metaphor for many of us, but consider what it must mean. We live our lives in Christ in a way that is vitally and organically joined to other believers. We who are in Christ are no more detached from other believers then muscle tissue can be detached from ligaments in a healthy body. When you pass another Christian in the grocery store or in the the hallway of church, that is a body's hand passing the same body's foot, both of whom are controlled by a single head. Listen to this. They may be different genders, different ethnicities, polar opposite personalities and 70 years apart in age. But they are far more connected than two siblings of the same family, same ethnic background, and same DNA, of one, uh, 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 one of whom is in Christ while the other is not. I always hate messing up reading something around the punchline. The point, you are more closely related and connected to those of us in the room who are in Christ than you are to your blood family who are not in, the, in Christ. That has been the one thing that's just blown me away over and over again as I've prepared and and thought about this over the week. It changes the way I I see you and appreciate you. I'm closer to you, your, your, your fam, more than my blood that's not in Christ. It changes the way I think about what we do on Sunday morning. That elevates my eyes to the beauty and the glory it is to gather together as the church and why I'm already looking forward to next Sunday morning. Because we're the body. Oh, man. All right. Well, the one thing I think in terms of all of this, I want you to have your eyes elevated to the beauty and the privilege it is to be a part of the body of Christ. And our call from the text is to be the church. What does that include? Fight for the unity. Maintain the unity. Guard the oneness that we already have by the Spirit. because it's here that Christ is at work the church is in one real sense the place to be because it is here in the church that Christ is at work and it's through the church the instrumentation of the church that Christ continues to work that's a privilege that's an honor and that is a weight but it is beautiful to do it together as one body, different pieces Christ is the head So you need to look any further as to to the importance of of gathering and the importance of being the body. Look no further than the, the table. The meal of nourishment to the body. All the ways in which you, as I've been preaching and myself included, have felt inadequate for this task. The good news is we're about to be energized for it by the head. Maybe you, like me, have felt all the ways in which you have not seen each other rightly as the body of Christ. Had a diminished view of the church. The good news is the table points to the forgiveness that is in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Let's be nourished together as the body by our head as we come to the table. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for making us one. Even though oftentimes we tell a lie to the world because we're so divided. Because we bicker and fight over non-essential, tertiary, secondary things. I pray that you would help us because we cannot do it alone. Help us maintain the unity that you, Holy Spirit, have already accomplished in us. In Jesus' name.